The reading today is from, the first reading is from Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The second reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you, Lois. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to everyone else. Merry Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas. Good to hear you. And we're allowed to say Merry Christmas because I heard our senior pastor, Dave, at the front door saying to someone, oh, it's a very meaningful word. Some, some of us might think, oh, Mary, what does that mean? Does that just mean, uh, is that just kind of trivial? Well, you can ask Dave as you shake his hand on the way out. That's an interesting conversation. Uh, 
I can see that lots of us uh, have friends and family joining us today. So my name is Tim. I also want to extend a warm welcome to the Lakes Church. It's great to have you here. And I hope that you have a a wonderful time uh, over the next couple of days all catching up. Now, one of the things I want to do today is just focus in on some of our Christmas carols because they're very weird. They're very weird, the songs that we sing, the lyrics are very strange, and we'll, we'll have a look at some of those weird lyrics. Um, but they're also a bit of a puzzle. I find what we're singing about a bit of a puzzle. Let me just take one example for you. So we, we often know this song. Uh, this is from O Holy Night. Uh, the line is, a weary world rejoices. Um, a weary world rejoices. Now, I'm sure many of us would go, well, I get the weary part. I feel very, very weary. But rejoice? Really? Can you you say that we can really have joy in this world? Um, My mother-in-law is with us today, and I heard that she uh, went down to the shop to get some Christmas cards and uh, then put them back. She was going to give them to the neighbours because they have peace, hope and joy and it just kind of feels a little trivial sometimes to just hand out these cards. When you look at the big wide world, there's lots of stuff going on. Can we really say that the world is rejoicing? And much closer to home, we feel the weariness, don't we? Um, Our bodies are letting us down. Who's getting a skateboard for Christmas this year who's above 30? (laughs) Yeah, You know, um, a lot of us are in that upper age bracket no longer, well, we want a skateboard and we want rollerblades, but we don't put it on our list, hey, because we can feel the pain in our hips already just thinking about it. Our bodies are weary. And the more Christmases that go on, the more you feel that weariness, right? That was, that was very vocal. <laughs> we, we can talk later, brother. Yeah. Um, and look, even, even Christmas time, this time of year, can really bring into focus the weariness that we feel. Um, there's lots of stress, uh, even as we make it about the children. You know, that means running around and buying and wrapping and cooking and travelling, all that sort of stuff. And if you're like me, you probably caught yourself this week. It's, it's meant to be about the children, but what you're breathing out as an atmosphere, stress and angst, uh, that's what they're breathing in. So we get that. And also catching up with family. Um, I know that that can be very hard for many of us. And it's this time of year that brings into focus the weariness of even in our family, the strange relationships, estrangement, uh, even loss. You know, for many of us, this Christmas is the first Christmas that someone is not with us. Um, Really, can you rejoice in the midst of all that? Well, today I want us to focus in on the Christmas story which is captured in many of our songs about a weary world rejoicing. And to do that, if you, if you would come with me, I want to I push into how weird the Christmas story actually is. Like, we might, we might be used to a lot of sort of the words and the nativity scene and all that, it just becomes part of the Christmas atmosphere. But when you stop and actually listen to what the story is and what we sing about, it really is very, very strange. So we're going to look at how weird it is. But in the midst of it, it's also very wondrous. It's, it's in the weirdness that you actually see how wonderful the story is. And if you put those things together, 
and dwell on it even more, uh, you may be like me who have found that it makes you go, wool because you find the missing piece of the puzzle to your life, to the fact that we live weary lives in a weary world. Um, and strangely and bizarrely, it is for me and for many of us here, it makes the most sense of everything. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in John 1. So if you've still got that with your Bible, let's um, open there. And we'll, we'll have a first look at the weirdness of this Christmas story. Okay, Now we, we got the, the typical Christmas story read, which is page one of Matthew, and lots of us would know that. Um, even if you haven't been around church much in your life, it's hard to miss in the Western world the Christmas story. Pops up in movies, pops up in songs. Um, you would be familiar with you know, the, the nuts and bolts of that story that was read by Lois. And page one of Matthew's Gospel in the Bible is very much like playing a movie. So you've got the narrator, he is telling the different events of the Christmas story so that we can start imagining way back then in our minds, we hear the story play like a video in front of us. There's another page in the Bible which we also read, which is the first page of John's Gospel, and that's where it's like a pause button has been pressed on the story to explain more. Um, have you got those DVDs, or if, we, if you still have some DVDs, I'm not sure if they put them up on Netflix, but you're watching a, a movie or a video and you can get like a director's cut um, where, they, where you, you watch the director watching the film and they press pause to do all this commentary to explain and say, well, this is what's going on, this is why we chose this scene, rah, rah, rah. I think that's what's going on when you look at the different gospel accounts, particularly with Matthew and Luke, which tell the story of Christmas, but then John is like a big pause button, and he, as he pauses, John, one of Jesus' disciples, commentates on what is actually going on when we see Jesus, the baby, born. Um, and this is what he says in John 1.14, at the climax of that opening passage, says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you come back to that play-pause idea, so Matthew tells us the story of Jesus being born, a baby, and that he is given a name, Emmanuel, um, and that is even translated because it's a it's so like a Jewish phrase that has been compressed together, all the words compressed together to make a, a name that has the phrase, God with us. And then John presses pause to explain God with us means that he became flesh. Now you would have heard as we read John 1 that John opens up by saying, uh, in the beginning was the word um, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. As you read through John 1, John puts together that the Word is a kind of another title or way to describe Jesus that you see coming in the flesh. Um, the Word is like, like, like as God speaks out, just like when you hear someone speak, you kind of hear their inner being. 
Um, as you look at Jesus, John says, you actually see the very revelation of God. Exactly who God wants you to know him as is seen in the Lord Jesus. So it's a, it's a very powerful way to describe Jesus as the word. And he connects that Jesus, the son, the man that walks around, is God from the beginning, through whom the whole world was made, has come amongst us as flesh. Now, this is very, very strange. Think about it. God, you know, whatever concept you have of God, surely you've at least go that the concept of God is the most awesome thing that has been eternal, that is eternal, that created everything. Everything comes from God. And God becomes a human being, flesh. And John really presses pause to show us how weird that is because he doesn't just say that God becomes a human because he could have chose that word, God became a human. He doesn't even say that God became a body or put on a body. He uses a very odd word, flesh. It's a meaty word. Like even, even the first people reading this would have heard that's, that's the, like the, the meaty flesh blood and bone kind of description of, of what we are. So in, in describing Jesus, he describes him as flesh. And that, that's almost like a disgusting kind of idea. And in the first century, it probably was. The idea that God would become flesh, blood and bone, has the idea of deterioration too mortality. So that's our first strange thing. It really is strange and weird, the idea of God becoming flesh. And so we sing about it all the time. Like, it, it, it's really sort of got me as I've thought about this and you hear these songs, the, the odd things that we sing about. So Hark the Herald Angel Sings, this is one phrase, stanza from it, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. When we sing that song, we're singing about God becoming a fetus coming into this world and being born through a womb with all the muck. We're speaking about God, singing about God, coming as a baby of which the umbilical cord has to be cut. Even that concept kind of suggests he's entering into what is so typical of humanity, humanity. We have cut the umbilical cord. We are on a pathway, uh, leaving the source of life towards death. Hold that thought in your head. We'll come back to that. So it's weird. But it's also wondrous. The songs that we sing, sing about the wonder that happens in the weirdness. So again, back at John... Uh, Some of the things that John says is that we, in seeing Jesus, we see that 
In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John shows that to see the Lord Jesus in the flesh, strangely, is actually to see the wondrous glory of God, the very existence of life, light and life, comes through the Lord Jesus and we wondrously see that in the Lord Jesus. Now the Bible often talks about God as a God of wonders and describes him as a wondrous God Um, and usually in the Bible it's always in a context where more than just going, well, pizzazz, it's wonderful, it's describing God doing things that seem impossible and more than just a miracle but things that you think ordinarily would be impossible. And most of the time, when it describes God doing these wondrous, impossible things, it's talking about him doing this, what seems to be impossible, saving people from death, from darkness and death. Now, I want to take you back 700 years, briefly, because... As we, as we hear both the Christmas nativity story where Mary hears that she's to name this child Emmanuel, uh, in Luke's gospel she actually hears that and, and wonders all about it, wonders what that can mean. And John has got us wondering, um, the name Emmanuel is more than just a name. When we go back to 700 years to Isaiah and we hear the context of when God first announced that he's going to send a child with Emmanuel, we see that more than just a virgin having a baby, there's something more profound going on. So come with me. I've got most of the text on the screen for us. I'm going to take you back 700 years to the book of Isaiah. He's a prophet, and uh, he speaks to a king in Judah, in Jerusalem in Judah, who is freaking out big time because his life is on the line. In fact, his whole city is on the line. The picture is... Um, after a long history of Israel, which was a, a pretty big nation, um, lots of the regions of Israel, sometimes called tribes, have um, rejected God, sided up with other nations, and have even turned themselves in on one final region called Judah, which isn't very big anymore. It's pretty much just a city, the city of Jerusalem with some outer suburbs. And in the middle of that city is King Ahaz. So we're going to read a little bit of what's going on for him and how he is freaking out. As I said, we've got it on the screen. Um, I might use my Bible. So Isaiah 7. Okay, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king of Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, the house of David was told... Aram has allied itself, allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. So you see what's going on. Ahaz is a king. He's a king from the house of David. In the story of the Bible, God had promised that he would save the world through the house of David, the family line of David. So he's 
Ahaz is freaking out because most of, most of the so-called promised land has disappeared and you've got all these other nations coming in, choking Jerusalem and even saying, we're going to put our sons on the throne. So Ahaz is freaking out, trembling like trees in a forest shaken by the wind. So God sends Isaiah to Ahaz. Ahaz, who is worried that his line and his sons are going to be wiped out. So we'll pick it up from verse 4. God says, Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, so there are other nations around and their sons and kings, and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's sons have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves, and make the son of Tabal king over it. So the Lord, seeing all that is going on, uh, continuing on at verse 7, Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, It will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin, Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So the Lord comes to Ahaz, who's trembling and panicking that his line's going to be snuffed out, and he says, well, look, I see it all, and these other nations, they are nothing more than a smouldering stick. You know, when you put that in a fire... You, you get a flame, it burns for a little while, and then you snuff it out and you can flick the end of the head off. That's what it, the Lord's saying. They're, they're not going to last. Their sons aren't going to last. Their heads are going to be flicked off just like Christmas gingerbread. You know how they snap? Off they go. So let's keep reading. Uh, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So hear the Lord comes to Ahaz and says, in your fear and your worry about whether my promises will stand and whether your line will continue, ask me for a sign. Ask me to do the impossible. Hear that language? Can be the deepest depths or the highest heights. Maybe I should get my hands right. Highest heights and deepest depths. Ask for an impossible sign that I can give you confidence with. But for some reason, Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Um, he doesn't trust for some reason. Um, and then Isaiah says in verse 13, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God? Also, verse 14. There we go. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on your house and your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So the Lord says to Ahaz that he will provide his own sign to show that the line of David will last forever. 
The sign is a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son who has the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But did you pick up the twist too? That as this sign comes, it's actually going to come in the midst of Judah and Jerusalem going through darkness and distress and gloom. That's when the sign will appear. Uh, This child... Uh, who needs puree food, will be kind of living a poor man's existence because Jerusalem and Judah has been hit by Assyria. And you can read more about that if you want to keep reading through Isaiah, all that happens. But as Dave was saying the other week, there's lots of signs in the Old Testament that point forward to Jesus. And he had these little graphics up. Well, here in Isaiah, a sign pointing towards a virgin who will have a child that will be called Emmanuel. But if we keep reading on, it's more than just the amazing idea of a woman who has not had intercourse giving birth, conceiving a child and giving birth. More than that, the child is called Emmanuel And even more than just a nice name that kind of reflects God's promises, Isaiah points out that the child himself is God amongst us. So just quickly flip over to Isaiah 9. I still have it on the screen if that's helpful. Uh, If you read from chapter 7 through to 9, you hear Isaiah talking about the world is going to get worse and worse, darker and darker and gloomier. Uh, But keep looking out for this child that comes. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Jumping down to verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So in the midst of darkness and gloom and death, a light has dawned. And in verse 6, you may have even heard this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on. And forever. So, more than the seemingly impossibility of a woman getting pregnant while being a virgin, this child that she actually will give birth to is God Himself. God coming to actually lift people out of darkness, death, and gloom. And that's what John comments on. He's aware of all this as he was taking us through in John chapter 1. He described Jesus in the flesh as light in the darkness. Light in the midst of gloom and distress. Now we did some reflection before, didn't we, that we we feel weary. Uh, even though Ahaz was a long time ago, he had his worries. 
he had his worries about his mortality and his vulnerability, uh, and so too do we. Um, we are very weary, um, and I think you feel the weariness more the more we get in touch with the fact that we do live in a, in a world surrounded by death. That's what the darkness is, isn't it? Um, the darkness closing in is when we become more conscious of these things. Um, and Christmas. Christmas can be a bit of a letdown. It's really joyous right now and it's exciting and you're waiting for it. But do you, have you started, especially as you get older, to get that sort of Christmas glum that happens maybe, maybe at lunchtime when your belly's full, but you start to go, oh, it's all over. Yeah, yeah. And um, maybe, do you remember being a teenager too? And maybe some of the teenagers are feeling this way as well. Sorry to cast a, a hue across your upcoming Christmas. But I remember as a teenager feeling that feeling of, oh, the magic's disappearing. The delight of Christmas is kind of not there anymore. And, and that's a sadness. Um, for me, I have this great nostalgia at Christmas too. Um, my early years of Christmas were so bound up with uh, being at my grandma's house. We would do that every year. We, we lived up in the Northern Territory and we would travel all the way down to Melbourne. And so her house was just what Christmas was all about. Um, and as an adult, um, she, she passed away while I was young, uh, in my teenage years. But as an adult, I, when I'm in Melbourne, I've often driven past the house, 54 Castle Bar Road, Oakley, and, and all the memories come back, and it's hard because you can't have them anymore. Uh, you can't get access to that wonderful experience, relationship with some people. Um, that's, the, that's the darkness that we all feel in different ways creeping in. Um, that's the gloom. I read uh, a report saying that, and this, this is really sad, that they did a, a survey, Lifeline here in Australia said that 60% of people surveyed say that they are lonely. Um, we live in a society that apparently has it all, and Christmas keeps yelling at us, you can have it all, but we are profoundly lonely. read another article this week that said, um, as they were reviewing all the, the top 100 hits for the year, the number one theme was loss and loneliness. And they used lots of imagery like darkness and blank space, to quote Taylor Swift. And, and even, even the word death was surprisingly a lot, a lot you know, in the lyrics of these songs. I think we get that. We get that our greatest need is some kind of light to break through the darkness. That's the weariness we all face. And we sing about it. Have you noticed how often our Christmas carols sing about death? Um, that's included. We sing with hope. If you come to church here, we, ha we have a lot of songs that sing about death. And at first hearing, you might go, oh, that's a bit strange. But we're singing about a hope that breaks through death. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, thou day spring from on high. Now, a lot of the songs have sort of the archaic English going on. Day spring is not a voucher to somewhere for a massage and a facial and exfoliating and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
my wife actually said to me, this is the song, isn't it, Deb? You said this is your favourite Christmas carol? Yeah, so so deep. O come thou day spring... So day spring means dawn of the day. The day is springing forth from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. All right, lastly, we've been talking about how it is really weird um, what's being said in the Christmas story, but yet it's also proclaimed as the wonder of God doing something to break the darkness of death so that we can rejoice. And so let me take you to the, the whoa moment. Whoa. As you read the Bible, um, the Bible explains that death comes to all of us because we have cut ourselves off from the source of life, God. We have willfully said, I don't want God in my life. Each and every one of us has. And that is where the darkness comes from. We've cut ourselves off from the source of life. Now, John 1 spoke to us and said that in Jesus, in him was life, and he was the life that was the light of all mankind and shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Another strange thing, that in the coming of Jesus, he who is actually the source of life breaks into the darkness in a way that the darkness cannot overcome it and here's the world part as we see jesus come into the world we don't see jesus come in with a cataclysmic bang like nuclear style where everyone is just overawed by the radiant light and uh and 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 subject to his judgment straight off the bat We don't see God come to humanity as a warrior with a huge army of angels ready to call every single person to account. We don't see that first. What we see is the strangest thing, that God comes as a baby. Just look at that hand. God comes first as a baby, entering in to that state which is vulnerable, entering into mortality with us. As we said before, um, the umbilical cord is cut. There's a saying that to have one foot out of the womb is to have one foot in the grave. Immediately, Hearing that Jesus, God, comes as a baby highlights that he is coming to die. So all this talk of giving life, light and life, we see in the Christmas story, especially as John pauses to commentate on it, that coming as a baby means that God has deliberately placed himself with humanity on a pathway to death. 
God as a human like us subjects himself to being cut from the source of life. The umbilical cord is cut. As you watch the story of Jesus, um, you, you see that uh, straight away his life is threatened. Herod wants to kill all the, all the babies in the town that Jesus is born in. Um, John, we read, um, says that most of Jesus' life he was rejected. Um, and Jesus himself, as you read the rest of the story, and I encourage you to read that, continues to talk about that his whole journey, his whole existence as a human is to place himself willingly under death. And that is the oddest thing, that God is saying that somehow it's through God dying that life can come to us, that the death that we're under, that the death that plagues us can be absorbed up and removed through God dying. It's very weird, but it's also the greatest wonder. God absorbs the death because of our sin through the man Jesus Christ. And the rest of the story shows that Jesus died. In fact, all of the Gospels end with Jesus dying and rising again. The resurrection showing, well, it worked. God has broken the back of death, which plagues humanity. And so today, um, particularly if you, particularly if you are with us, and look, church is not normally what you do, and maybe you don't think about these things that regularly, I want to encourage you to continue to reflect on the Christmas story, the weirdness of it. And the wonder of it, you know, to think that God becomes a little baby, um, placing himself vulnerably under death. Um, Jesus says that um, we shouldn't think about it too long, um, because one of the things he says on the way to the cross is, um, trust in me or you will die in your sins. John chapter 8. Trust in me or you will stay dead. In your sins, because death is far more than just physical, it is facing the judgment of God. Many of us here rejoice, even though the world is weary. Um, we rejoice because we share that hope. Um, and so, if you're on that journey and you're thinking about it, can I encourage you to um, look even today? Even today, if you want to share in this hope, it's as simple as you can just pray and talk to God. Uh, you don't have to have a fancy conversation, um, but you simply say, God, I'm dying and I need you. Can I please have the forgiveness that you offer me? Um, it's as simple as just talking through the nuts and bolts of what you hear from the gospel story of Jesus. Um, of course, ask any of your family members and friends that you are with. But if these things are still more at the intriguing level for you, you might want to take some time over the Christmas period to read the rest of John's Gospel. Um, John chapter 1, and just keep reading it. Um, keep asking some questions. You're welcome to come to church here at any time, here at the Lakes. We're here every Sunday. Um, and that's a way you can keep finding out and exploring about these things. 
And I also want to just let you know that next year we will kick off a, a conversation uh, series that we have, um, which we do on a weeknight here at church. We do it every term. It's called Life and it's Discovering. You know, is this life for me with Jesus? Can Jesus give me life? And it's great because all questions are on the table. Um, when you're on the journey, you have, what about this? What about that? All those what-if questions are on the table, and that's a great place to keep talking about. So I'll just leave that up for a bit, and you can grab the QR code. But if that's too weird for you to zap that, you can find out more on our website. So let me conclude by saying this. Um, for me and for many people, um, the Christmas story is really weird, but it is also the wonder. And as you put that together, um, when you look around uh, why we have so many problems in the world, why we have so many problems with ourselves, the fact that we know that we each have something missing, something's not right, we need something, um, what makes the most sense of all that? For me and for many of us, I know, um, it's, it's Jesus, God becoming a baby in the flesh to die for us is the missing piece of the puzzle and strangely makes the most sense of our weird and wacky existence. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, um, that you look down on us as God eternal, as God awesome and the creator, and you invite us into a reconciled relationship with you where we are your children, united to the Lord Jesus, your son, and can call you father. The mercy you have shown to us, the great grace and truth, it is a wonder. And I pray for each and every one of us that we will see and sing that more and come to hold on to you alone. Um, what great hope to rejoice, excuse me, <clears throat> to rejoice even though we are weary, to know that we are no longer dead in our sins. Amen.